Hello and welcome to the Mindset Coach Podcast, the show where coaches and coaches-to-be tune in to learn how to integrate mindset coaching tools and neuroscience-based techniques into their practice and grow and scale a coaching business they love. Each week, I'll be sharing easy-to-implement tips, case studies, and business strategies that you can use right away to transform your own mindset and the mindset of those you coach. I'm your host, Lara Young, founder of the Mindset Coach Academy, author of 52 Adventures to Change Your Life, award-winning business owner, coach, and coach trainer. Tune into this podcast each Friday, free on all the podcasting apps, and click to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And remember, mindset is everything. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Mindset Coach Podcast. I'm Lara Young and today I really want to explore the concept of diagnostics and really understanding our client's problem. You know, we spend a lot of time on finding out what the problem is, how the client runs the problem, how long they've had the problem for, what prevents them from solving it. And we really dive deeply, don't we, into all those aspects of their mindset around this. We dive into what they think about the problem. We dive into their beliefs, their values. We dive into how they feel about the problem, how they see themselves in terms of their identity, how their habits and behaviours are perhaps maintaining the problem. And I think one of the things is that with all this range of incredible diagnostic tools that we've got available to ourselves, including tools like the Mindset Dimensions Report, where we actually measure all of the seven key dimensions of mindset, we have all these diagnostic tools available to us, yet often the problem is something obvious. Not always. Sometimes it's the problem behind the problem and we often end up coaching on not the problem, as we explored in last week's episode. But sometimes, you know, the problem is right there in front of us. The problem is easy to recognise and easy to diagnose and easy then to go and coach on. There's a saying in medical schools and it's this, if you hear the sound of hooves, look for horses, not zebras. If you hear the sound of hooves, look for horses, not zebras. And what that means, of course, is that we want to look for the obvious. We want to look for the solution or the problem that is most aligned with that symptom, right? If we hear hooves, we want to look for horses, okay? If we hear I can't or if we hear overwhelm or if we hear imposter syndrome, or if we hear self-doubt, whatever it is that we're hearing, if we're hearing I can't make X money or I can't lose this weight, then look at that, okay? Look at that problem. And of course, we want to dive in more deeply. Of course we do. Absolutely. You've heard me talk time and time again about the importance of really understanding the problem, understanding your client's model of the world in order to help your client to get the results that they desire and to find a solution. But one of the best places to start, of course, is with the obvious, is with horses and not with zebras. So one of the things that we can do as coaches to do this is to really tune in and listen to what our clients are telling us about the problem. Yes, understand the problem, 
but also initially to think about the key areas in which most problems fall. And I think in my experience, most problems that clients present with fall into one of nine key areas. And I'm not talking about problem of being overweight or the problem of not earning enough money in your business or the problem of not being able to sleep very well at night, whatever the problem is. I'm talking about what prevents people from actually solving those problems. And Again, what prevents people can be their own perception of what's preventing them. But first of all, we need to understand with our clients what prevents them. And one of those, one of the questions that's really, really valuable, of course, in coaching is what prevents you? What prevents you from solving the problem? Now, nine times out of 10, it's going to be one of these nine things. Okay. So are you ready? Let's go through. The very first one is that they don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And this can simply be a matter of not having enough information in order to solve the problem. I really don't know how to go live on Instagram. I really don't know how to package up my services and offerings in a way that is attractive to people, that's going to compel my ideal clients to buy. I really don't know how to start training for the London Marathon. Now, with information, of course, we can help our clients to find that information or, depending on your specialty, you can provide that information for them. So an information gap can often be an obstacle for clients to even getting started, even though they've got great resources at their disposal. They've got people, perhaps, that have done what they've done before. We call this modeling, of course. Whenever we want to do something, we can choose someone who's done it before and we can model what they did. What did you do to achieve this goal? Lots of autobiographies out there, aren't there, where we can also read information about how people achieve the success that they did or the results they did. We can read case studies online. We can Google how to. We can Google how to train for a London Marathon. We can Google how to be an effective parent of a two-year-old. We can Google. The information is there. So sometimes it's a matter of helping your clients to actually find the resources that they need in order to be able to do the thing that they've come to you to be able to do. And, of course, you can create checklists for them as well. You can create step-by-step guides that are really going to help them to move from where they are to where they want to be in that information gap. You can give them the information and really help them along the way. Now, number two is that you know what to do, but you don't feel like you're capable of doing it. Remember, we've talked before about skill and capability, and this in some ways aligns with our belief about what we're able to do, what we're capable of, our self-efficacy. Sometimes people just genuinely don't believe that they've got the skill. They don't actually have the ability to do what it is that they need to do. And again, we can really help explore that with our clients. We can help them to explore learning a skill. Okay, we can offer them suggestions about how they might go about that. We can also offer them suggestions around maybe outsourcing that skill. A lot of times people think they have to be able to do everything. They have to be the most skilled at everything. Think about your own business as a coach. Do you believe that you need to be the most skilled at everything? Do you need to be 
skilled in social media? Do you need to be skilled in bookkeeping? Do you need to be skilled in accountancy? Do you need to be skilled in going live online, writing social media content, selecting social media images? Do you need to be skilled in onboarding? What are the things that you believe that you need to be skilled in, which maybe you actually don't? So sometimes it can prevent people from, you know, moving forward. But certainly if it's a real barrier, if it's something that's really preventing our client from moving forward, then of course we do really want to help them to either build the skill or build the belief that they're capable of doing that thing. The next one is I don't believe it can be done. I don't believe it can be done. So this is belief, of course, and this is actually not belief about self and not belief about worthiness or deservedness or helplessness, although it does kind of lean a little bit into helplessness. But believing that it can't be done immediately puts that barrier in there. It immediately puts that block of impossibility. And we've seen so many experiments over the years, haven't we, where people don't believe something can be achieved and therefore they don't even attempt to do it. Take, for example, Roger Bannister (laughs) running the four-minute mile, okay? Really, really powerful example because as soon as he'd done that, there was another person the next week and then by I think it was in like a week or two weeks, four other people had broken that record as well. And it was simply by the evidence in front of them that it could be done that people then realised, I can do it too. And so, you know, in this instance, it's a matter of helping your client to find examples of other people who've done it, to find evidence, evidence to the contrary of the belief. So by demonstrating that there are people out there, how many hundreds of thousands, I don't know if it's hundreds of thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people run the London Marathon every year, for example. How many people do have successful, thriving coaching practices? When we show our clients the evidence that it is possible, then we reduce that resistance and we help people to recognise that it can be done. Not only can it be done, but they can do it too. The next one is that people can be prevented from doing something because they feel like they don't have the energy. They're just too stressed out to be able to do it. And this really falls into that well-being camp. Whenever we want to achieve a goal, whenever we want to take any kind of action, we need to feel good. <laughs> when we feel good, we have those emotions of motivation, of inspiration, then we're much more likely to take action. When we're feeling energized, we're much more likely to take action as well. I know personally that there are times of the day where I will do certain activities in my business based on how I'm feeling, like where my energy levels are, where my tiredness levels are. So I very rarely do anything that requires high levels of energy or thought work in the time period from about 2.30 till about 4, 4.30 in the afternoon because I recognise that physiologically, energetically, that's a slump time for me. And so, you know, I do things in order to help that. I do things like, you know, eat something for lunch that has, you know, veggies and protein so my energy levels can be sustained. But I also recognise and want to lean into when is my best time. My best times tend to be very early in the morning, right through until up after lunchtime, and then also later on in the afternoon, evening time for a few hours as well. And that's where I run my 
That's when I run my training courses predominantly. So, you know, helping our clients to look after their well-being is a really key factor. If someone's stressed out about something, if someone's stressed about the prospect of even starting, then we can work with them on their resilience. We can work with them on their emotional state. We can work with them to help them reduce that stress and to pave the way for them to actually be able to achieve the goal. We can also work with them around their energy levels too. We can clear stale energy. We can use lots of different techniques where we can help our clients, just as I gave the example before, to recognize when the best time of day or for women with our cycle, when the best time of month is to be undertaking certain tasks. Want to learn more about how you can become a certified mindset coach? Head on over to our website, www.mindsetcoachacademy.com forward slash coach certification, and you'll find all the information that you need along with a button to book a call with me to talk about how you can become the best coach you can be. The next one is that people sometimes come to us and they'll say, look, what prevents me is other people. Other people are standing in my way. My boss doesn't really want me to go for a promotion or my family are worried that if I start my own business, then, you know, I'm exposing myself to too much risk and a lack of certainty, a lack of security. So sometimes people will say it's other people and this can also lead into not having enough time. Okay, so other people, I've got my children to look after. I don't have any time. I don't have a babysitter. So I really can't do that. I can't commit to going to the gym five nights a week because I have those responsibilities to a family, for example. And so we may also find that our clients are saying other people don't support them. Other people don't understand what it is that they're wanting to do. Other people have other priorities in terms of their own goals, which may be preventing our clients from moving forward. And so, again, we really want to be able to work with them on things like having those conflict resolution discussions, if there's conflict, on building more effective rapport. And in the Mindset Coach Certification, we do spend some time on helping our clients to build rapport with other people as we do on helping us to build rapport with our clients because it's a really important skill, isn't it? Whatever you call it, whether it's negotiation, whether it's conflict resolution, whether it is just heightening rapport and taking the other person's perspective, it can really open up our world when it comes to more effective communication and getting people on board with our goals, with our dreams, with our aspirations. The next one is that sometimes people can be prevented from achieving a goal because they just don't care enough. They just don't want it enough. They're kind of like, eh, I'm not sure. And that speaks to motivation. Okay. Are they really motivated to want to achieve the goal? Now, sometimes, of course, if someone doesn't really want the goal, then we're not going to coach them on it because they're not, they haven't got, it's not a high value to them. It's not a high priority and they're not motivated towards doing it. But sometimes that whole, I don't really care about it, can also be a protection mechanism. If I don't show that I really care about wanting this thing, well, then it's really not going to matter if I fail. And have you ever said that to yourself? You know, if I care a little bit less, it doesn't, oh, it didn't matter anyway. It doesn't really matter. 
I can't allow myself to really want this thing because what if it doesn't happen for me? And so, of course, we can work with our clients around their levels of motivation. We can elicit their motivation strategy and ask them to think of a time in the past where they were really motivated to do something. And what was the very first thing that had to happen for them to be motivated? What was the next thing? And we do that right through until we're eliciting this feeling of motivation. We can anchor in motivation with our clients. Okay. Remember a time when you were motivated. Can you remember a specific time? Can you remember a time when you were totally motivated? And as you go back to that time now, see what you saw, hear what you heard, and feel those feelings of being totally motivated. And we can anchor that in. And that motivation doesn't have to be in the same area as the goal is. You know, someone can be totally motivated to run the London Marathon, maybe not so motivated to complete a project at work. What we can do is we can elicit the strategy for motivation in terms of running that London Marathon and then we can overlay it onto the strategy for finishing that project at work. We can add those elements, those ingredients, those emotional resources right in there with our clients. The next one is what prevents our clients is I don't have time. I just don't have time to do it. Now, how many times do you hear that? Do you hear yourself saying that? I don't have, I'd love to, but I just don't have time or I haven't got enough time. How are you? I'm busy. Oh, look, I'm just so time poor at the moment. I just can't fit it in. Now, the reality with time, of course, is it's all relative. Sometimes time goes really, really slowly, doesn't it? It drags, right? If you're bored, it really, really drags. When you're waiting for, when you've got a flight delay and you're waiting for the flight in the airport lounge, it drags. You've got a four-hour flight delay. Time goes by really slowly. But when you're actually in the state of flow with positive psychology, which is the the link between having significant challenge in what it is that you're doing and significant interest, same amount, is where we're in that the zone. It's literally when we're in the zone. When we're in something, we love doing it and we don't notice time going by. In fact, when we're in that zone, we often look up and say, oh my gosh, is that the time? I can't believe, I can't believe it's six o'clock already. And so when we work with our clients on time, yes, there are practical strategies around time management, but I think it's more about the emotion of time and the response to time as a resource and really helping your client to, to determine what can I do in, what can I get done in this 30 minutes or 45 minutes? I've shared with you previously my post-it note activity in an earlier episode, and I recommend that you that you check that out because you know, once we can start to think about time as sprints or mini sprints, you know, 90-day planning is another great example of this, where we're just focusing wholly and solely on one or two major priorities in a 90-day period. We get so much more done, right? Because our focus is on that thing. And so, yes, we can work with our clients around time, around their perception of time, their relationship to time. And in timeline therapy, we know there are people who have in time or through time. You'll know people yourself who are always late and for pe- and other people who being, being late means mean being 10 minutes early. They're not comfortable unless they're there being on time, which is 10 or 15 minutes before the appointed time they were due to meet someone or do something. People will also run other strategies in relation to time, won't they? The deadline strategy, 
You know, some people do not have the motivation to do things until that deadline is looming, until it becomes absolutely necessary that they take action now. Otherwise, they are going to fail. They're not going to meet that deadline. They're not going to achieve what they want to achieve. So in relation to time, there's lots we can understand about our clients and techniques we can use with our clients to help them to bend time, to leap time, to do all of those great things to get their goals achieved and done. The next one is, of course, I don't have the money to do it. What prevents me? I don't have the money to do it. So again, you know, when we're thinking about the concept of money and money as energy, sometimes it is linked, isn't it? It's like, I don't have the money to do it. What if it was, I don't have the energy to do it? Ask a client to replace replace the word money with energy. I don't have the energy to do it. Replace it with time. I don't have the time to do it. Replace it with motivation. I don't have the motivation to do something. I don't have the motivation to do it. And maybe it is that I don't have the money to do it yet. Or why won't it be great when I have got the money to be able to do it? Again, you know, I'm not someone who wants people to invest in my program or in anything I'm doing if they you know, if it's going to put them into financial hardship, absolutely no way. I never ask people to get a credit card out or anything like that because for me, it's not an integrity, it's not in alignment with who I am. But when we think about when we think about money, sometimes it can be that thing about what am I choosing to spend my money on? What am I actually choosing to spend my money on? And is it really money or is it really the amount of money So here's the thing, you know, sometimes people can think things cost a lot more than they do. So you might hear people say, I haven't got time to do it because I have to clean the house. I have to get the house, I have to clean the house every week. And then you can say to them, okay, well, what about getting a cleaner? What about getting a cleaner in for two or three hours a week so that you can focus on your work and then you're not having to do that at the weekends and you can spend time with your family, for example? And then they might say, well, that's going to be expensive. But often they say that without having researched the cost of outsourcing that thing, that cleaning. And it's the same I often find with things like virtual assistants or, you know, bookkeepers, other kinds of support that we can use in our businesses, particularly as coaches. Often we think it's going to be more expensive, but the freedom that it gives us back in terms of the time and the energy and the hours that it gives us back and the amount of value that we can actually generate with that time is extraordinary. And so sometimes it's a matter of um, just getting your clients to do the costing out of having that thing. One of the questions I love to ask people is, you know, if you could have a massage once a week or a cleaner once a week or a gym instructor once a week, a personal trainer, sorry, once a week, what would you choose, right? And those things all cost about the same and people have an idea in their head that they're more expensive than they actually are. And so that's one thing that you can do is you can really sit down and work out with your client how much is the real cost and how much is the opportunity cost of not maybe outsourcing some of those things, not giving themselves a break. And it doesn't always have to be outsourcing in terms of, you know, I I get a cleaner so that I can then work more hours. It could actually be getting a cleaner so you have permission to do nothing, right? You have permission to focus on your well-being, to relax, to chill out and to just have time and spaciousness for yourself in your life. Now, the last one is fear. 
So our clients can sometimes be prevented because they're really afraid to take that next step. They're afraid of the consequences, the perceived negative consequences of taking action. Now, I've spoken about this before. Sometimes people can be more afraid of success than they are of failure because they perceive all the negative things that will result of them being successful and maybe the comments. What will their friends and family think? Will they be more relied on? Will they be, you know, will they be talked about? Rather than, you know, even having that fear of failure, what happens if I don't succeed? We've all heard that phrase or that question before, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? And that helps us, doesn't it, to really uncover in our clients what their true desires are without any of those limiting beliefs or limiting decisions about what is or isn't possible for them in their lives. And so, you know, it comes back to having that evidence procedure, doesn't it? When you have a client who is afraid to get started because of potential negative consequences, whether they could be perceived as positive or negative in terms of success or failure, then we really want to uncover what's at the root of that fear. And we really almost want to create a checklist out of it, okay? What will happen if or what will happen when? What do I think will happen when I run the London Marathon? What do I think will happen when I lose 20 kilos? What do I think will happen when I'm earning 20K a month? And that is a really interesting journaling exercise for your clients to have, both in terms of what are the positive benefits and maybe what are some of the things that, you know, they may not want to have happen. That can really help us to uncover our clients' fear in those situations. I mean, in the weight loss example, there's so many studies that show that people will get to a certain amount of weight loss and then they'll either be able to maintain it, very few, able to maintain it. A lot of people go back, right? A lot of people ping back and it's not because they don't know how to maintain the weight. It's because they don't know who they are at this weight. They don't really step into that identity of having that slimmer body to having that more energy, to being able to fit into their clothes more easily, being able to wear clothes perhaps that they've always wanted to wear but haven't felt comfortable in before. And so What can happen is people are more comfortable, more secure, they feel they belong more as the identity of the person who is overweight or is, you know, unfit or whatever it is. And so they go back to that. And so that's why when we think about secondary gain, when we think about negative consequences of achieving a goal, it's really important that we talk these things through with our clients and that we step into that level of identity. Who will you be when you've achieved the goal? And really have them embrace that desire for being that person and prepare them for that, for those changes. Because even if a goal is the most wonderful goal that we could have, the biggest, most audacious goal that we could have for ourselves, the biggest wow goal that we could have for ourselves, sometimes when we get there, we're like, oh, <laughs> is this it? Is this what it's like? Or I'm not comfortable here, I don't belong. People think I've got a big head, I'm big noting, whatever it might be, okay? So really have a think about that as a coach. And as you're thinking about that, I really want you to write down, you know, for your specific client group, for your specific niche, what are some of the potential negative consequences that they may have or they may believe will result in them achieving their outcome? right? What could possibly be the downside? 
We don't want to dwell on it, but I want you to think about it as a coach. I want you to think about what are those potential things that could sabotage your client once they've achieved results that they've come to you to achieve. And also, I think, you know, the important thing about all of these, so whether it's information, skill, belief, well-being, other people, motivation, time, money or fear, you know, the thing about all of these things is that you need as a coach to have in your toolkit tools and techniques to be able to help people to resolve these blocks and barriers, these things that prevent them from achieving the goal, from having the outcome, from having the business and the life that they fully and wholly desire. I'd love to know your thoughts. Where are you finding that your clients most come up with in terms of answers to what prevents them? Which area do you think most prevent, most prevents your clients from moving forward or that your clients perceive prevents them from moving forward? Please do drop me a note, let me know. And I look forward to seeing you for next week's episode. Bye for now. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of the Mindset Coach Podcast. Remember to join us next week for another episode and subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review if you've loved it. Share it with your friends. And I really look forward to learning how you're implementing the tools and techniques that you're learning here. Mindset is everything.